I honestly believe that they found the right person. They're in the right place. They don't need to do anymore. They found me. When your client is deserving of significant financial compensation, try Cases to Verdict. Strike fear in the hearts of the insurance companies, the hospitals. Your obligation as a malpractice lawyer is to be able to put the plaintiff on an equal footing in order to hold yourself out as a preeminent malpractice lawyer. Welcome to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm your host, Chris Stryer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io, the preeminent personal injury marketing agency. Before we get started, if you like what you hear, head on over to Apple or Spotify and pound that five-star review button. And if you don't like what you hear, tell me about it in a one-star review. I got a big hug for all my haters too. Each week we talk to the best in the legal industry. Ready to dominate your market? Let's go. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The riches are in the niches. Patrick Salvi Sr. looked at personal injury and decided to narrow his focus. By limiting his practice to med mal, mass torts and catastrophic injury, he's obtained more than 310 multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements totaling over $2 billion. Mr. Salvi has practiced law for over 40 years and it is at the helm of one of the most successful personal injury law firms in Illinois, Salvi Shostak and Pritchard Trial Lawyers. And he will be the first to tell you that to get results like this, it starts with quality cases and empathy for potential clients. Today, he offers insights from four decades in the business. He discusses the importance of overcoming fear in the courtroom, why going to trial is a better way to increase revenue, and how empathy will close more clients. Here's Patrick Salvi Sr., Managing Equity Partner at Salvi Shostak and Pritchard Trial Lawyers on how he got his start. My dad was a lawyer, a general practitioner way back in the day. And so I always admired his work and I actually practiced with him for a couple of years out of law school. And uh, that really was the uh, the genesis of my interest in the law. And it was just sort of the culture that I grew up in and sort of was a natural, uh, natural fit for me. What a special time that you got to practice with your father. Can you tell me anything that just stands out, maybe a memory or a story about that time? Well, I practice with my sons, two of of my five sons currently and have since they came out of law school. And I have to say, candidly, my experience with my sons is a little bit better than with my dad. Not that it was bad, but we just had kind of a different idea as to where we wanted the direction of my particular practice to be. He was a general practitioner, kind of did everything, real estate, probate, divorce, criminal. I really enjoyed uh, courtroom work and did criminal law initially just to get into court. The problem with criminal law is uh, by and large, although it's a, I admire criminal law practitioners, by and large, your clients are criminals. And, uh, <laughs> and, and more often than not, you lose. Now, uh, you know, it's still a, a very, very important, obviously, part of the, the practice and the system. But I had some personal injury victories, and so I needed to go off on my own and limit my practice to personal injury. It's what I had a passion for. And so I did that starting in the beginning of 1982. We work with many personal injury attorneys, and I've had many on the show. And on your website, you lead with, hey, we're, we're a medical malpractice. PI attorneys? Did you start out in general PI and then found a propensity for med mal? In the early 80s and 90s, the medical malpractice field uh, really took off. 
And, you know, back in the day, uh, some of the personal injury practitioners uh, thought that um, they didn't want to do malpractice work because they thought it would antagonize the medical professionals in their PI cases as treating doctors, et cetera. And, you know, I think that was kind of a flawed approach. And so I uh, actively solicited malpractice cases. Also, you know, they were regarded as and which they are riskier, more expensive. But as uh, as all my medical malpractice uh, colleagues know, if you are disciplined in your selection of cases and you you learn how to prosecute and try a medical malpractice case, it is a very rewarding area of practice, both uh, personally as well as professionally and financially. I'd have to say most people avoid it for that reason. The you know the expert witnesses and all the costs accrued. In, in building up this case. And have you found that these cases impact your, your cash flow and, and those being real issues? And, and how have you approached just this area of, of the law itself in maybe just a, a look behind the curtain and, and maybe how you're selecting cases and how you're generating, you know, dealing with the cash flow and things like that? Because you're right. It's not like a, a pre-lit car accident, rear and collision. You know, you get to settle and the cash flow comes in a little bit quicker from that velocity standpoint. Yeah, I mean, as a medical malpractice practitioner, number one, it, it evolves over time. Number number one, you 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 have to become a very skilled medical malpractice lawyer. It is a special skill that you kind of uh, develop over time. You have a certain God-given talent. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of preparation, and then you learn the tricks of the trade through trial and error. And, and as I said, uh, it, both myself and the lawyers that uh, I've hired over the years who are excellent malpractice lawyers, you know, learn that you have to, as I've said, you have to be very, very disciplined with regards to the cases that you accept. Uh, you know, malpractice, even the best cases can be fraught with, uh, you know, the risk of, of losing. Uh, as opposed to a PI case where a FedEx truck runs through a, uh, you know, a red light and, and creams the plaintiff, you know, you're not going to lose that case, just a question of how much. In a malpractice case, as the practitioners will tell you, even, even the best of cases generally can be defended uh, vigorously on both, and it might be liability and causation or just causation if it's, you know, just a real slam dunk, which is very much the exception than the rule. And then if you, if you know what you're doing, you, first of all, you have to have access to good cases, which is hard. It's a very competitive field. But if you've developed success, a reputation, you hustle for cases in the, in the right way, and, you, and you, you're selective, and then you get the results, not just settlement, but you've got to try these cases to verdict. Also, in order to uh, strike fear in the hearts of the the uh, the insurance companies, the hospitals, in order for them to to pay you large settlements when when your client's deserving of that. So, if you do those things, and it's easier said than done, then uh, you know you should be able then to manage the cash flow of uh, of the you know tremendous expense that the cases are. Can't be cheap in regards to them too. You don't spend money willy nilly. But, you know, you have to have excellent experts. You have to have uh, great demonstrative evidence. Uh, you know, you have to, uh, you know, spend what's necessary in order to win the case because the other side is going to. They have unlimited resources generally. Your, your obligation as a malpractice lawyer 
is to be able to put the plaintiff on an equal footing to the hospital, the insurance companies for the doctors, et cetera. I think that is an obligation that you have in order to hold yourself out as a preeminent uh, malpractice lawyer. But malpractice represents maybe about a, a half of our practice. You know, we do some mass tort, not like other firms where uh, we have 19 lawyers and we're a little bit more old-fashioned with regards to the a single plaintiff or plaintiff and spouse, if it's appropriate, type cases, and, and but largely catastrophic injury or death. Your firm has obtained more than 300 multi-million dollar verdicts and settlements totaling over $2 billion. For the, so for the personal injury attorneys listening, you know, if you're looking for a co-counsel, you want to extend that maximum value, and you're talking to a real expert that really knows what he's talking about, and kind of want to shift to, to those talented lawyers. I heard you say it here. I heard you say it in videos I watched. A lot of times when I hear, oh, it's, we have good people. And it's kind of like, you know, everyone kind of says that. And, but you have the proof, right? You have the results. What goes into finding, nurturing, and retaining these top lawyers? You know, when I started out, I started out by myself. And, uh, and then, you know, way back then, it was kind of a big deal to hire an associate or two. And it was a big commitment at the time. Uh, financially and and so forth. And, you know, like anything else over the years, I've gotten better and better with regards to, you know, hiring uh, good, good, great lawyers and, and, and great non-lawyers in terms of staff. But uh, you need to do your homework. I mean, you really need to do your due diligence. You talk to uh, your colleagues, uh, you know, what's their reputation? Talk to judges they've tried cases with. What are their strengths? Are there any, you know, weaknesses? What's their track record? Get to know them well to make sure that you're going to personally connect with them. Because you want people that are not only, they know how to prosecute a case and know how to take a deposition, know how to even, you know, prepare and try a case. But, you know, they're team players. They're, they're good people. They have integrity. They, uh, they're well liked and respected in the, in the legal community. There are many ways to measure the success of a firm. Mr. Salvi says that a key indicator is when you, the owner, no longer needs to be involved in every case. The lawyers are really churning out great results, settlements and verdicts. And without much of maybe any of my involvement in, in a particular case, you know, that's when you know that you've built a, a particularly successful firm. If you're of the attitude like it's not going to get done right unless I do it, that's not a good situation because that's a micromanager. That's someone that can't delegate. That does not make for a successful firm. Uh, so I've seen so many extremely talented lawyers, but you know they're just they just have an inability to delegate. They again they just feel if if they don't do it, uh, it's not done exactly the way they want to do it. It's it's just not done right, and that's flawed thinking and business management assuming that you are delegating to people that truly know what they're doing. And that requires you to, over the course of their careers, to help develop them and mentor them. And, you know, and some lawyers, depending upon their talent and experience, need more hands-on care than others. Some need very little of none. And, and so, you know, knock on wood, I'm very fortunate and they have a, a, a large group of, of lawyers that are 
just very, very talented in their own rights. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think they're better off if I'm not meddling, uh, putting my two cents in. They're, they're just outstanding. They're really, you know, and I'm a little bit biased, but I think starting with my oldest son, who he's the president of our Illinois Trial Lawyers Association currently, and just coming off a $363 million verdict, you know, he's just been uh, outstanding. And uh, so's his brother and, and so are his partners. So I think we have a great team and I like to think we enjoy as good a reputation as anyone in, in the city and in the state. I want to kind of lean into this, this delegation and growth side of this conversation just a little bit. You've had multiple hats that you've had to wear and you've shed and your role has changed. And here I am wearing an Oakland A's hat and I know you'd love for me to be wearing that Chicago White Sox hat. That's right. We'll forgive you though. <laughs> so your role now is managing equity partner. How has that evolved over time? You know, you at the beginning, you were trying cases, you were wearing multiple hats. And, and what does your typical day look like where you're having the most impact today? Yeah, so I'm, I'm more involved with re- now still trying cases. I tried a case last January with my son, Patrick, and it's, it's unusual for me now to, to take a lot of depositions, to be involved in uh, certain cases, uh, you know, in terms of my being primarily responsible for prosecuting it. It's more business development, mentoring lawyers, strategizing with regards to cases that are coming to mediation or being prepared for trial. I enjoy the business of law as well as, you know, the practice of law. I enjoy strategizing about, uh, you know, getting new business, taking care of attorney, referring attorney relationships, the development of a business outside having having to have lawyers refer us cases. I mean, God love them. I love all my referring lawyers, but you got to pay referring lawyers. Whereas, uh, as you know, when if you have the benefit of getting a case from a non-lawyer source, it's much more profitable. Uh, you know, I'm involved in all those things, and and uh, still very active though in in trial lawyer organization, both at the local and in the national, to, in order to preserve our practice. A lot of uh, fundraising, etc. I'm very active with regards to the Notre Dame Law School. I serve as the chairman of the of our law school advisory council or board. You know that's very important uh, endeavor that I have, and I have had that for uh, quite some time. I don't have quite the time to devote to you know a certain ten cases or fifteen cases like I did not too long ago. I might step in on a trial now. But it will be with sort of a limited function. You know, I might handle certain aspect of the damages. I might do some of the voir dire, may or may not do opening statement, may close or just give closing on damages, things of that nature. So my approach to the preparation of a trial when I was pretty much handling the uh, overwhelming majority of the responsibilities, as you know, as good trial lawyers know, it requires an obsession and a, a level of preparation like no other. Yeah, I mean, you have to be by far and away, in my opinion, the most prepared person in the courtroom. And in order to do that, you must, you know, live, breathe, and eat that case in an obsessive way for however many weeks or months, depending on the complexity of the case that are necessary. And then I think one of the most important aspects of a great trial lawyer is not only God-given talents dogged preparation, then you must ultimately 
trust your talents and and have a significant amount of fearlessness in order to try a case. Too many great lawyers, you know, they're very talented, they prepare very well, but, you know, they're just too fearful that, you know, everything's not going to go perfectly. They begin to catastrophize and they end up settling a case they should try. And they don't trust their talents that, you know, you can't predict everything. A trial is so much, uh, you know, so much of human factors, you know, come into it because, you know, the witnesses are human and the jurors, the judge, you know, you know, you can't predict everything, but you have to trust your talents and trust the the fact that you're going to be able to deliver. That allows you to turn down that large offer knowing that you're going to be able to deliver a better result. So much here and the trial work, it's it's a zero sums game. There's a winner and a loser. And did you develop this competitive side, this mental fortitude? Were you born with it? Were you always competitive? What I found in interviewing individuals, a lot of times they have a background in sports, so they're really interested in sports as opposed to maybe the pre-lit. They don't have the same competitive sides. Sometimes they do, but it seems like trial attorneys are a different breed because you're right. You could, it, There is only a winner or a loser. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that going back to your question about the selection of lawyers, the uh, competitive nature of the lawyer is so important. And uh, yeah, yes, I'm very, very competitive, like just about every good trial lawyer, certainly great trial lawyer. And what does that mean, competitive? Uh, someone that's very, very competitive, what are they going to do? They're going to do everything necessary to make sure they win. Everything whether it's, you know, working 16, 18 hours a day for how many weeks and months it is to get ready, they're going to do what's necessary to win. They just can't stand the thought of losing. And um, yes, I'm very, very competitive. I think someone that's in sports, that's a very uh, key element. Generally, people that are successful in sports have that competitive nature. I have that competitive nature in terms of sports, I, I lack the uh, talent, although I, I love sports and love playing sports. Uh, I, was, I was Mr. Competitive, so that's a very key component uh, to a, a great trial lawyer, no doubt. Trial is a zero-sum game. Everything is on the line. Before you can win in trial, you've got to win clients. To get them signed up, Mr. Salvi shares his wisdom on business development. Number one, you can spend a lot of money in terms of advertising. In, in Chicago and in Illinois, you know, obviously we have TV advertising, billboard advertising, you know, things of that nature. By and large, not, not entirely, but Chicago, is, in terms of the top PI firms, kind of our old school, you, you won't see, I think, any of us doing TV commercials. And I think uh, social media has to be fully, uh, there has to be, uh, you know, a, a day in, day out involvement in terms of professional, whether that's uh, an achievement, whether it's uh, one of your lawyers giving a seminar or being on a podcast, winning an award of the local bar association, you must be constantly promoting your lawyers in your law firm. Uh, and, and, and if it's done on all mediums, professionally, 
eventually that's going to to pay dividends. You know, you do have to have, in my opinion, ultimately the results uh, because, uh, you know, we lawyers, we know who the best lawyers really are, right? If, you, you know, your relative or your dear friend is, God forbid, seriously injured or killed, and you really need to uh, refer them to somebody that, you know, you have the highest degree of confidence in. And we lawyers know who the, the really good lawyers are. And that's, that's the reputation you want to develop. And so, uh, you know, we encourage our lawyers to uh, take every opportunity to write, to, you know, to provide uh, seminars, to get out there, speak. And if they achieve anything in the way of settlements, verdicts, awards, uh, or you know any any sort of similar professional accomplishment, the word has to go out in a professional way, in into the lay and the legal community. Uh, at every opportunity, we have in-house public relations people, and you know that's all they do. Uh, and and so in this case, for example, Marcy will arrange for you know interact with you or you know set this podcast up. And, and then do what's necessary to kind of get me prepared and all set and ready to go with it. And then on to the, you know, while she's working on, you know, 15 other, you know, things. Uh, because if you have a lot of good cases, it's a very rewarding profession in practice, personally, professionally, and financially. And so as a result, it is very, very competitive. And it's just not a lot of people, in my opinion. I mean, my competitors are very, very talented lawyers and law firms, I have to say. And so you've got to be on your A-game 24-7. I think from the business standpoint, one thing my lawyers initially joke about until they realize the importance of it, if we get an inquiry, they'll, they'll tell you, Mr. Salvi, the first thing he's going to ask you, what's he going to ask you? Is he going to say, well, tell me about the case? What are the strengths and weaknesses? You know, Tell me about the plaintiff. Where's the venue? How much coverage is there? You know, yeah, all of those are going to come. But the first thing Mr. Salvi is going to ask is, did you sign up the case? What are you doing to sign up the case? Always following all the rules of ethics, et cetera. In my business, it's very, very common, almost on a daily basis, where we are competing, usually against pretty much the same three to five law firms for, for cases. We don't dilly-dally with regards to calling people back, setting up meetings, doing what's necessary in a professional fashion to persuade the client. We would never say or do anything that uh, disparaged in any way, shape, or form our competition. In fact, you know, I will almost always say, well, you're talking to law firm A, B, and C. They're all excellent, I, I have to say. This is what I think distinguishes us from them, and it means no disrespect to them. And then just, you know, making it easy for them and so that they think, okay, I, I, I'm very, very comfortable with Mr. Salvi and his firm. I think I'm in the right place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, with them. And, you know, then as I tell my lawyers, we have to deliver on the promise. We didn't make these promises just to get the case signed up and then coast uh, into victory. The top, top plaintiff's trial firms have an obligation to produce extraordinary results than could be produced by even the reasonably well-qualified plaintiff's personal injury lawyer or law firm. We should be able to produce a result that might be 
50%, 100%, three times, five times or more than, you know, might be uh, produced by, you know, a reasonably competent plaintiff's lawyer or law firm. And, you know, too often, you know, that, that happens where the lawyers, especially with certain complex, extremely serious cases, they keep them and they settle them for significantly less than if we had had our hands on it. Not always. Uh, we can't guarantee that every time. You know, it, it depends on the circumstances. But, uh, you know, those cases that are out there that, you know, are we going to require the know-how to prosecute them and then strike fear in the hearts of the the insurance companies? Because they, they know who the best lawyers are. They know the ones that are fearless. They know the ones that can whack them badly if they don't pay the amount that's uh, demanded. One of the things I really like is the in-house PR team because it highlights your social proof to be the choice for referrals and it gives you a unique selling proposition that you can highlight, your big results, your awards, accomplishments. But the other thing it does is it powers that flywheel for digital marketing. I'm an SEO guy, and when I hear an in-house PR team, I'm just kind of like, oh, that's that's nice. Get those backlinks and help your content rank better. So it has kind of that that flywheel effect. The other thing, if you're looking at like a pre-let firm versus a trial firm, a lot of times these pre-let firms will put their case results on their website, and I think it's a huge mistake. If I'm a consumer and I go, and I'm going to make a choice on who I'm going to hire and I go see your results and I go, let me go check out another firm. And I see, oh, they don't have very good results. Why would the pre-lit firm ever highlight those? Why wouldn't they talk about maybe the volume or the number of cases they've done to show their social proof? We have to remember that a lot of the victims of uh, uh, negligent conduct or the consumers out there that are looking, you know, they don't uh, possess the level of sophistication and not even a fraction of, uh, you know, someone like you or I, you know, we can really dig into the details and, and do uh, a search and truly find uh, a lawyer or law firm that, uh, you know, really has the track record that makes us comfortable that they're the firm that to handle a particular case. Potential plaintiffs, you know, they don't understand, uh, you know, those differences uh, I, I think that's in, in large measure what happens there because, I mean, I've, I've had, you know, very huge cases that uh, resulted from a referral from a law firm and all they do is television advertising. Uh, they don't try cases. They don't do depositions. They just broker cases. And we have a, we have a fairly liberal uh, referral fee rules here in Illinois. Uh, so long as you remain responsible uh, for the case, uh, your the referral fee is not dependent on how much time you put in and so forth. So as a result, that's a cottage industry in and of itself. Getting the case oftentimes is half the battle, but uh, you're surprised that someone that has uh, brain-damaged twins as a result of poor management of pregnancy, labor, and delivery calls somebody because they do an adver advertisement on TV that, you know, where are, you, are your children, do they have cerebral palsy? And if so, call 1-800-THIS-NUMBER. I mean, would we pick somebody to handle a case of that nature based on a TV ad? You know, you and I would not. 
or if we had a medical problem of the kind of equivalent complexity and seriousness, you know, we would carefully do our due diligence on who the best doctor is, the best surgeon, the best practitioner, whatever the case may be. So, you know, I just think that's a reality of of the business, and uh, I, I I'm not uh, I'm not on the bandwagon saying uh, this has got to change. It's you know it is what it is, and we we gladly handle cases uh, from law firms that uh, you know just uh, advertise for them, or they do nothing more than make a phone call to us, and we don't quarrel with them, we don't whine about it. No, we we we're in a position now where we we're not held. You know, if someone wants half of the fee on a very complex case, you know that potentially is pretty good, but. It's going to be thousands of hours of work and hundreds of thousands of dollars in expenses. I don't need that kind of business, even though ultimately it may be a $10 million or $15 million case. It's not going to make economic sense for us. So we'll let somebody else do that and not, not look back at all. So let's say I'm a, a potential prospective client. I've got a very serious injury. It's, it's a case that you, your firm does. and I. I come to you and I say, hey, I'm just not sure, you know, which PI firm I should use. You know, why, why should I use you? Yeah, I think, you know, when I am interviewing a potential client in a situation where uh, I know, usually they're just very upfront and tell me that, you know, they're speaking with other firms. You know, number one, I, I spend the time that's necessary to, you know, kind of get to know them and, um, show empathy, sincere empathy to their situation. Uh, I truly, you know, I truly and sincerely say to them, I'm so sorry to meet you under these circumstances. They've lost a loved one or they've suffered a, a terrible injury or a loved one has a spouse or a child. And then what I try to do is to, in a sincere fashion, persuade them that uh, they've come to the right place. Number one, I tell them, and I mean it when I say, I'm not a high-pressure salesperson. The other firms that you've talked to are, are excellent. But I have to say, we probably have the largest verdicts and settlements in the city and in the state, and we're very experienced with regards to the particular situation that you're in. Although it's going to take a lot of work and know-how, it's not a particularly complex case. You've come to the right place. Now, I'm biased, but I don't think there's anyone that is going to do a better job than myself and my law firm. And we're ready to get to work on the case right now. Right now. Now, I mean what I say. I'm not trying to bamboozle them. I honestly believe that they found the right person. They're in the right place. They don't need to do anymore. They're, they've, they've found me. Thanks so much to Patrick Salvi Sr. for offering his time-tested insights and wisdom today. There's so much here, so let's get to the pinpoints. Pinpoint number one, be prepared and trust your talents. It's easy to fall into the trap of perfectionism and get stuck in the fear of making a mistake, especially in court. Eat, sleep, and breathe a case before trial. Obsessive preparation can help you enter the courtroom with courage. You can't predict everything at trial, but you have to trust your talents and trust the fact that you're going to be able to deliver. I think one of the most important aspects of a great trial lawyer is not only God-given talents, dogged preparation, 
Uh, but then you must ultimately have a significant amount of fearlessness in order to try a case. Pinpoint number two, go the extra mile. You got to be on your game 24-7 in niche markets like personal injury and med mal. Chase the leads that you already have and increase your touch points, but remember to make it about them. Did you sign up the case? Always following all the rules of ethics, et cetera. In my business, it's very, very common, almost on a daily basis, where we are competing, usually against pretty much the same three to five law firms for for cases. We don't dilly-dally with regards to calling people back, setting up meetings, doing what's necessary in a professional fashion to persuade the client then as I tell my lawyers, we have to deliver on the promise. We didn't make these promises just to get the case signed up and then coast uh, into victory. And to round it all out, pinpoint number three, close a client through connection. Genuine empathy reassures potential clients that they are in great hands. It tells them that your firm understands what they are experiencing. Here's how Mr. Salvi does it. I spend the time that's necessary to get to know them, show sincere empathy to their situation. What I try to do is to, in a sincere fashion, persuade them that uh, they've come to the right place. You've come to the right place. Now, I'm biased, but I don't think there's anyone that is going to do a better job than myself and my law firm. I'm Chris Stryer. Thanks for listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. Each week, we bring insights from the best in the business. To get in touch with Mr. Salvi, head on over to salvilaw.com. That's S-A-L-V-I-L-A-W.com. He's more than happy to bounce ideas and answer questions on similar cases. You can find that link in the show notes. While you're there, do me a solid, leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify. I'll be forever grateful. If this is your first episode, or if you've been here since episode one, thanks for hanging out. Catch you next time. I'm out.